Hello to my fellow humans with true crime obsessions. Welcome back to Crime Obsessed Dog Mom. I'm Michelle, the Crime Obsessed Dog Mom, with my co-host, potentially getting the zoomies behind me, the baby dog known as Rory. Today we're going to look at the Covina Massacre, or also known as the Christmas Eve Massacre, and we're actually recording today on Christmas Eve. Let's go! Okay, I don't know if you could hear him in the background of my intro getting the zoomies or not. I had to record it like three times a little bit because I suck at speaking sometimes. And also he was, uh, he, yeah, he's, uh, we might just have to roll with it, right? It's the holidays. He's just, he's, it's cold outside here in Michigan is cold. And uh, we just brought him inside and I think he's just kind of like shaking the cold off and just being silly. He is, f for being a short-haired dog, which generally they don't like the snow, he freaking loves it. He has like seven jackets. Um, my husband and I have like three total between the two of us. <laughs> but so it, it's funny and he always, we always put a different jacket on him depending on, you know, what the temperature is because we are those people. And... Yeah, so he might get the zoomies, you might hear him bark. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try to cut it as much as I can. But YOLO, we're here, it's Christmas Eve, uh, slowly. Um, I can't believe we're at Christmas Eve. Uh, this is not probably going to be the last episode of the year. We'll probably do one next week. Um, and, but it is crazy, and I'll probably do a little bit more of a reflection next week, but where and how far we've come since starting this this little adventure just seven months ago uh seven and a half months ago um you know did we think that life would look a little bit different at this point yes and um unfortunately that's a very big reminder right now that i'm struggling with uh, because I was thinking I'd be having a baby right now. Um, that was the hope for insurance purposes that we'd have the baby before the end of the year. Um, so it's really difficult, um, not having that. Um, so that's something that my husband and I have been kind of struggling with, but we are po positive. We are hopeful for the future and everything that could potentially come in the, uh, in 2023. But like I had said, um, it's cold as hell here in Michigan. Uh, I, think, I feel like it's pretty much cold everywhere right now in the United States. We got like a crazy Arctic blast coming down from Canada, which happens pretty often. We were supposed to get a bunch of snow, but we got like a dusting, but it's been drifting a lot because of the wind. But uh, yeah, it's been a little bit crazy. Lots of, I mean, they like shut off an entire piece of a major highway here in Michigan, uh, I-75. Um, it's major highway. It pretty much runs from here to Florida. But yeah, they cut up, like they shut down a huge portion of it because there's so many accidents yesterday, which was insane. And we live uh, kind of close to a highway and there's a lot of accidents on that as well. So uh, it's been a, a little bit crazy the last couple of days, but we are thankful to be on break and we are thankful to have all the opportunities coming our way. Uh, thankful for all of you, even though this is not a Thanksgiving episode, <laughs> but uh, we're thankful, you know, for everything that, that is coming our way and uh, what we have uh, coming. And 
I normally would release on tomorrow, but tomorrow is actually Christmas here in America and everywhere, everywhere that uh, celebrates Christmas. And I figured because the case that we're covering today actually happened on Christmas Eve in 2008, I figured it would probably be as like a memorial to them, um, to those that lost their lives and to get their story out there. And so, yeah, let's get going. So like I mentioned, this story happened on December 24th or Christmas Eve, 2008. There was the Ortega family. Uh, they had everybody over, right? That's what we do for Christmas. We have everybody over. They had five of their adult children, their families. Everybody came to their house um, in Covino, California. Very low crime, quiet community, about 22 miles east of uh, L.A. The Ortegas, they loved Christmas. They loved spending the time with their kids. Favorite time of the year for them. They loved spending time with their oldest sons, James and Charles, and their daughters, uh, Lasita, Alicia, and uh, Sylvia. That Christmas Eve, the family, they were playing a game of Texas Hold'em, and they were having a good old time. Big old party. Awesome. Kids were, grandkids were playing video games or hanging out in the back by the, uh, the pool. The, on the second floor of the house, there was the 17-year-old grandson. He was, you know, playing away on a, on a computer. Pretty casual, what I would say, Christmas party for this family. At about 1130 that night, uh, Bruce Jeffrey Pardo was dressed in a Santa Claus suit. He knocked on the door of his former in-law's house, occupied with all of those people, it's about 25 people, with a gift-wrapped package. Little did they all know in the house that that was a homemade flamethrower. He had that in one hand and a semi-automatic handgun in the other. And then he also had an additional three semi-automatics handguns in his possession. There was a knock on the, cr- the front door and the squeal of the eight-year-old happy girl. She was crying. She was excited. She saw Santa Claus at the door and that's what she thought. It was Santa Claus. When she, the door was open, Bruce fired the handgun at his eight-year-old, at the eight-year-old girl as she ran to greet him, injuring her in her face. He then immediately just started firing at everyone that was, they were running, right? They, one of the grandkids got shot. They were just fleeing everywhere they could, they could get to be to safety. They did, the police ended up uh, speculating that Bruce may have just stood over people and pointed executed them um, using some of the other handguns that he had. After he completed all of the shootings, he unwrapped the package containing the homemade flamethrower and used it to spray racing fuel gasoline to set the home ablaze. Nine people died either from the gunfire or the flames and three others were wounded. Surprisingly, eight-year-old that opened the door that had been shot in the face she was she survived and she had very severe injuries but they were non-life-threatening a source close to the investigation said that although she he she had been shot in the face by him she kind of saved herself by turning her head kind of at the last moment another survivor was a 16-year-old girl who was shot and wounded in the back and then a 20-year-old woman She suffered a broken ankle because she jumped out of a second floor window. 
almost immediately after everything that happened, 911 calls were received um, from the neighbor of the Ortegas crying, come immediately, they're burning down someone's house. The fire department was dispatched to the Ortega home, but the calls kept coming in. Some even reported that they heard shooting coming from the house, and when the police arrived at the scene, it was total chaos. One of the lieutenants that had showed up to the house said when he arrived, he described it as an apocalyptic, and that would that would be accurate to call it apocalyptic. The fire that was started by the homemade flamethrower, the, the fire soared like 40 to 50 feet up, and it took 80 firefighters an hour and a half to extinguish the blaze. And um, because of the intensity of the fire, one of the only ways they could ID victims was by referencing dental and medical records. So after the attack, Bruce put on his street clothes and drove his Dodge Caliber rental car to his brother's house in Slimar, approximately 30 miles away from the crime scene, where he was later found shot dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. His brother was not present in the home at the time of his brother's death. It was initially believed that Bruce intended to flee to Canada but the plane by plane as he had bought an airline ticket to the flight on Air Canada. However, later they did find out that the the flight was actually from LA to Molina, Illinois, and there was like a layover in Minnesota, so they don't know exactly for sure. It was also said that a couple of days before everything, he called his high school friend that he was planning to visit, but the investigators are unsure if he intended to go uh, or if the flight was actually like to fool investigators, you know, after after the fact. Um, and because he, he had visited his friend before in October of the 2008. But later it came out he didn't kind of go with his initial plan because he suffered from severe third degree burns because he's a freaking idiot and was using a homemade flamethrower um, because essentially the Santa suit that he had on, like, fused to his skin and burned him very, very bad, badly. They ended up, the police ended up finding everything. They found $17,000 in a cash cling wrapped around his leg inside a girdle in his rental car that had been, like I had said, he had gone to his brother's house. It was about like a block away. But he had actually rigged the remnants of his Santa suit that so they would ignite and fire and detonate the car with black powder if it was removed. So if they took the Santa suit out, it would blow up. Essentially, it was a car bomb. Also from this scene, they recovered four 13-round high-capacity handguns. All of them were empty, and at least other uh, 200 rounds of ammo, suggesting that he had been inside the car um, being treated. He was using the inside of the car as a threat. Um, so the bomb squad actually ended up having to come out and... Um, they fired an incendiary device into it. They destroyed it, burned it all up. At the part at Bruce's house in Montrose, the police also discovered five empty boxes of semi-automatic handguns, two shotguns, and a container for a high-octane fuel tank gasoline. So why did all of this happen? The police speculate that the motive of the attack was related to the marital problems. Remember, the Otegas were his former in-laws. His wife, Bruce's wife of one year, had settled for divorce in the prior week before everything happened. However, he had no 
criminal record and had no history of violence. He had been fired from his job as an electrical engineer at ITT Electric Systems Radar Systems in July. So he was kind of just having a really rough year. There was some speculation that the divorce may have been caused by him concealing a child from a previous relationship. The child was severely injured in a swimming pool accident several years before all of this had happened. And that's kind of how it came out that he had a, he had a kid. So they got divorced in 2008, but they initially were married in January of 2006, but they started to grow apart after they got married. He expected his wife to take care of her own three children previous from a previous uh, relationship with her own finances and actually refused to open a joint account with his new wife. In June, while the divorce was happening, the divorce court ordered him to pay $1,785 a month in spousal support. And during this divorce proceedings, he had confided in a friend that his wife was taking him to the cleaners. One month later in July, he actually had been fired from his job for billing false hours. So the court did suspend his payments due to the hardship with his job. It also came out later that he actually planned to kill his own mom after the massacre because apparently she had a lot of sympathy for Sylvia, who was his wife, during the divorce proceedings. Another piece of the divorce settlement was that he had to pay her $10,000, Sylvia, $10,000 as part of the divorce settlement. That was according to the court documents. She kept the wedding ring and the family dog in a court declaration. He complained that Sylvia was living with her parents, not paying rent, and had spent money lavishly on a luxurious car. She was going to uh, Las Vegas, gambling, having meals at fine restaurants, massages, and golf lessons. As the police were searching Bruce's home, some of his neighbors talked to the CNN affiliate KABC. And as they were kind of watching, like I said, watching them search his home, one of his uh, neighbors said he was very nice, very sociable, um, and he always decorated his home for the holidays. Another neighbor said that like two hours before the attack, he seemed normal. And he had even said Merry Christmas to me. That's all I have for you today. Thank you for tuning in. I'm always open to feedback in any cases or story suggestions. All of my source materials are going to be in the show notes. Please subscribe and rate so the podcast can grow. We're really close to a thousand downloads. We're going to continue to do work on our weekly episodes published on Sundays. This was a Saturday because tomorrow is the holiday. Be sure to check uh, me out on Instagram at Crime Obsessed Dog Mom. Twitter, TikTok, all of those crime obsessed dog mom find me. Uh, thank you. I appreciate your support. Stay true crime obsessed. Love on you animals and be kind. And I will holla at y'all next week. Bye.